Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name and allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to heights unreachable to us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in the service be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies of forms of fears, depression, destruction, covetousness, ignorance, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy people and stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your spirit Fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to find your holy countenance. I present this service to your divine arms. Guide them with your uplifted hand, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. Yeah. 
Before we together begin to once again study the depths of our inheritance in Christ Jesus, the unchanging epigraph to our study of our inheritance, written in Luke chapter 24, verse 44. Then Jesus said to his disciple, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And so that we, as members of the body of Christ, partake with Christ in all that was written about him in Scripture, we will continue our study in the direction of our cooperation with the Holy Spirit and with the revelations of the Holy Spirit in what we must do on our end so that we receive the right to set aside our former way of life to be clothed in a new way of life. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. For the fulfillment of this commandment and this faithful commandment, as we know, there are three basic commands and verbs. This is to set aside, to renew, and to clothe. We've noted that answering these faithful questions will affect whether we turn ourselves into vessels of mercy or vessels of wrath, or rather, will we perfect the salvation that is given to us in the format of a deposit, or will we waste it? Because of this, our names will forever be blotted out of the book of life. although at one point they were written there. In a certain format, we have already examined the first two questions and have stopped to examine the third question. What conditions must we fulfill so that through our already renewed thinking, we could begin the process of clothing ourselves into the powers of our new man who is created by God in Christ Jesus in the righteousness and holiness of truth. And in regards to clothing ourselves into our new man, we came to the conclusion that we need God's help in the subject of His mercy. The means for accepting this kind of help expressed in the inheritance of God's mercies is none other than the weapon of prayer and worship or worship in spirit and truth. Because prayer is simply the right that man gives the heavens to interfere here on earth. And we are called to give God this right only on His established conditions. Considering 
the fact that the strongest kind of prayer is a continual prayer that does not depart from its goal until it receives what it asks for. Then together we began to study the format of a continual prayer in the breastplate of judgment of the high priest, which was the format of a continual prayer before God. The power of this kind of prayer was intended to represent the unlimited power of God over mankind in the time and limits established by him. Because of this, we arrived at the need to study what purpose is God pursuing when he calls his children to become warriors of prayer, as well as how and under what conditions can God give a person the right to become a warrior of prayer so that a person could represent the interests of God and the realization of his inheritance in God. And according to revelations from scripture, our prayer and the quality of warriors of prayer yielded by the virtues of the twelve precious stones is supposed to be unceasing or continual, second perseverant, third diligent, with boldness, reverential, with showing faith to God, with thanksgiving, with joy in the fear of the Lord, and in the Holy Spirit or by prayer and tongues. In previous sermons in a certain format, we have already looked at the eight signs of a continual prayer that define the state of the heart of a warrior of prayer, as well as the quality of his prayer. And so we have stopped to study the ninth component of a continual prayer. This is the presence of the fear of the Lord in prayer, or a prayer that is made in the fear of the Lord. But before, I will again remind you of the antonyms of the components of prayer we have already studied. Because by looking at the antonym will make it easier for us to see the character and property of the component of prayer itself. And so, the antonym of unceasing is unfaithfulness or non-continuity. The antonym of diligence is resistance. The antonym of perseverance is laziness. The antonym of boldness is audacity. The antonym of reverence is neglect and hatred. The antonym of faith of God is disbelief or resistance against the faith of God. The antonym of thanksgiving is ungratefulness or stiffness. The antonym of joy is sorrow or grief. And finally, the antonym of the fear of the Lord is the fear of man. As we have talked about in the previous virtues of prayer, it is necessary for us to examine four classic questions. From what vessel flows the fear of the Lord, and with what virtues and criteria is the fear of the Lord endowed? What purpose is the fear of the Lord intended to fulfill in our relationship with God, with one another, and with the whole earth? What price or what conditions are necessary to fulfill, to be filled with the fear of the Lord in prayer? Or how do we keep and multiply the fear of the Lord in our heart? As well as by what results should we test ourselves for the presence of the fear of the Lord in our heart? During our previous service, we stopped to study the essence of the first question. And we will look at studying the second question. So, what is the purpose that the fear of the Lord intended to fulfill in our relationship with God and with one another and with the whole earth? We have noted that the fear of the Lord and the fear of man are two absolutely different programs that come from two completely different sources that yield a program of eternal life that comes from God, contains and contains the nature of God and the program of eternal life. And we will also study the program of eternal death that comes from the fallen cherubim, which contains his properties and nature. 
The first Adam, through disobedience toward God, transformed to the programmable device of the fallen angel and inherited this program, which was opposite of the fear of the Lord. His fear began to be known as the fear of man. In Scripture, the property or character contained in the fear of the Lord, just as the previous properties, is attributed to prayer as a commandment, as a command, and a military order, non-compliance of which will result in death that is expressed in the final destruction of a peaceful relationship with God. The fear of the Lord as the program that yields the life of God flows from the source of the wisdom of God and is the keeper of this wisdom. And as the program is able to abide and express itself only in a programmable device, which is the reborn heart of man, which becomes a mind of good understanding that abides in the commandments of the Lord. A heart that begins to have a good understanding that dwells again in, in the commandments of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Psalms 111 verse 10. There are many places in scripture like this. We've noted that the reason for many delusions and stagnations is precisely from what our understanding depends on. If we make our understanding dependent on people, we will satisfy their stagnancy, their ignorance, and their religious ambitions. If we make our understanding dependent on the traditions of man, then for these traditions we will violate the commandments of God. If we make our understanding dependent on logical thinking and the experiences that we have, we will also end up far from the fear of the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord in the subject of God's wisdom, although it isn't against our rational thinking, but due to its genesis and its dwelling in the fourth dimension, it does not depend on our logical thinking, but also rules over it. Therefore, only one against the many authorities of man, we make our understanding dependent on the revelations of Scripture. Only then we can be filled with the fear of the Lord expressed in his marvelous and superior wisdom. We know fully well that on the earth in which we live, there exist many kinds of fears and even more phobias. The whole earth is pretty much filled with these fears and phobias. But these fears come from only one source, the fallen cherubim that was inherited by the first Adam when he sinned and passed down to all of mankind through genetic lineage. And all of these fears cannot be compared to the unique and magnified fear that comes from God and is given to man by God through his birth. We must also consider that there exists a healthy form of fear in the format of a sharp mind that does not bring turmoil to man. Any other fear that does not come from God causes torment, whereas the fear of the Lord causes trembling and reverence before God and an inexplainable delight because it places a person into the most safest place, which is called God. As it is written, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. 1 John 4.18 Therefore, if our worship is made not in the fear of the Lord that contains the twelve precious stones on the breastplate of judgment, then it cannot be accepted by God. And that is why any attempt to enter into the presence of God, to call upon God and serve God without the presence of the fear of the Lord, deeply offends God, does not count with God, and challenges God.
The lack of fear of the Lord in the heart of a person testifies that this person is bound to the fear of man. Revelation 21 verse 8 says, But the cowardly, or people who have not gotten rid of human fear through the fear of the Lord, they are going to march first, leading the army into hell. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We know that the word fear, wisdom, and commandment related to the nature of God are identical because they yield the moral virtues of God. Due to its identicalness, one word explains the other because they come from one another and identify the authenticity of each other. That is why the fear of the Lord is the true wisdom of God presented in the commandments of the Lord. Whereas true wisdom in the virtue of the commandments of the Lord is defined by the fear of the Lord that yields the legislature of God in the heart of a person. And so the second question, what purpose is the fear of the Lord intended to fulfill in our relationship with God, with one another, and with the whole earth? When examining the purpose of the fear of the Lord, we must note that the limits of the fear of the Lord are limited by the limits of a heart that fears the Lord and the limits of their knowledge of the fear of the Lord. In a certain format, we have already studied four purposes that the fear of the Lord pursues in the hearts of those who fear God. I will remind you of them, and we will turn to studying the fifth purpose. The first purpose of the fear of the Lord, equivalent to our love toward God, is intended to cast out fear that involves torment. The second purpose of the fear of the Lord is intended to cast out fear that involves torment, and it also is called to give those that fear God a banner. Third purpose of the fear of the Lord is intended to turn the mercy of the Lord upon those who fear God for the purpose of removing their transgressions as far as the east is from the west. The fourth purpose of the fear of the Lord through the mercy of the Lord is intended to separate people who fear God from people who do not have the fear of the Lord through retribution to both. And fifth, the fifth purpose of the fear of the Lord in the heart of those who fear God is intended to bring upon them the pleasure of God. Psalms 147, 10 through 11. He does not delight in the strength of the horse. He takes no pleasure, has no favor in the legs of a man. The Lord takes or favors, takes pleasure, favors in those who fear him and those who hope in his mercy. In this passage, there are two categories of people, those who come to God and those who pretend to have the favor of God. The first category are people who turn the favor of God upon themselves through the strength of their horse and the speed of their legs. The strength of a horse, as we know, is an image of the strength of man's emotions upon which a person trusts in and uses in his service to God, by which he defines his spirituality as well as his relation with God. He says, I feel this or I don't feel this or that. But we know that faith is not a feeling. Faith is information that has come from God. And those people who rely on the strength of a horse in order to gain the favor of God, they are deeply, deeply lost. The speed of man's legs is an image of the haste of the human mind in defining the purposes of God while lacking the revelations of the Holy Spirit in his heart. Again, The speed of man's legs is an image 
of the haste of the human mind in defining the purposes of God while lacking the revelations of the Holy Spirit in his heart. This is a classic image of a carnal man who does not have the fear of the Lord in his heart and who hopes and trusts that he can turn the favor of God upon himself through trust in the strength of his horse and the speed of his legs. The second category are people who turn the favor of God upon themselves by trusting in the wise and authoritative power of his mercy. The reason why these people, in their search for the favor of God, trust in two completely differing opposing powers is in the difference of the quality of their hearts. The first category of people are defined as having a stiff neck and are disobedient and have a disobedient heart toward acceptance of the commandments of the Lord that, in essence, yield the order of theocracy in the body of Christ. And they are the fear of the Lord. These people don't have the fear of the Lord because although they interpret their commandments of God with their own human mind, But their doom is in the fact that they interpret these commandments with their human mind, distort it with their own false freedom and love. The second category of people are defined by having a humble and contrite heart toward accepting the commandments of the Lord, which makes their hearts wise and free to accept the revelations of God. However, to define the presence of the fear of the Lord in man, it is necessary to check and test ourselves for the presence of trust in the mercies of God, because it is specifically trust in the mercy of God that yields the favor of the Lord in people who fear God. It is this position and this kind of trust toward his mercies that turn the favor of God upon those that fear God and it distinguishes them from carnal people. Considering this, to trust on the mercies of God, it is necessary for us to have knowledge of what is the essence of the favor of God that is upon those who fear God and trust in the mercy of God? What properties endow the mercy of the Lord contained in the fear of the Lord that is called to be the trust for those who fear God? Third, at what place, at what time, and in what order must those who fear God show their trust in the mercies of God? Fourth, what means must be used by those who fear God so that they can trust in the mercies of God? And so the first question, what is the essence of the favor of God that is upon those who fear God and trust in the mercy of God? We know that the favor of God is the grace of God upon a person who fears God in the format of his benevolence. God is always amazed and fond of a person who has pleased him and brought comfort to his heart. From this we know that the favor of God shown in the grace of God can only be upon a person who has a wise heart because of his dwelling in the fear of the Lord, yielding the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God that abides in the hearts of those who fear God points to the full reign of the grace of God in their hearts. The reign of grace in the heart of a person can occur only in one instance, when his heart is filled with the law of grace in the format of the commanding teaching of Christ. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 5 verse 21. According to this definition, the favor of God expressed in the heart of a person in the reign of the grace of God is building the heart of a person into the full measure of the stature of Christ expressed in the book of parables 
in the seven pillars of wisdom. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also furnished her table. She has sent out her maidens to cries out from the highest places of the city. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake foolishness and live, and go in the way of understanding. Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. So, uh, mixed wine is when the word of God is interpreted through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Because the adulterer also mixes it and gives it in a cup. In one of the same cups, she says, here's the Bible, but this interpretation is of the human mind. Considering that the number seven is a figurative expression of the fullness of Christ, then in the seven carved pillars was presented the perfection of the law of grace or a person with a renewed mind in the fullness of God. Therefore, when studying the essence of the grace of God, on numerous occasions we have mentioned that the grace of God is something abstract that cannot be given some kind of definition. But when studying the nature of grace, we note that grace is a certain aggregate of all who God is, a definite and unchanging goal to which God aspires, the definition of all that comes from God, a certain and unchanging law of God, a certain and unchangeable order of the kingdom of heaven, a certain teaching about the kingdom of God, and the definition of all that makes up the kingdom of heaven. All of these definitions gain their legal power in the covenant of God with man, which first, the law of grace springs from the law of Moses. It is opposed to the law of Moses. It's exalted above the law of Moses, abolishes the law of Moses, replaces the law of Moses, is independent of the law of Moses, and is stricter than the law of Moses. In Hebrew, the word grace or favor points to the inheritance of God prepared for those who fear God. And this word comes from the root verb provide, take care, prepare. This is the essence of the favor of God, which points to the fact that through the grace of God that is founded on the greatness of the New Testament, God provided for, took care of, and prepared his inheritance of salvation for those who fear him, from which we know that where there lack mutual bonds of the law between God and man, the law of the grace of God does not have its legal framework. Because of this, the power of the law of grace gains its powers and the legal framework yielded in these components. First, the authority of the law of grace gains power in the mutual covenant of man with God, concluded in the identification of man in the death of Christ in the baptism of water. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Mark 16, 16. Second, the authority of the law of grace gains power in the supper of the Lord, in which there is presented a price paid by God for the legal right and authority of the New Testament. Luke chapter 22, verse 20. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. According to scripture, a person, when making a new covenant with God, cannot make this covenant where he wants, how he wants, when he wants, but only when he finds a good wife.
which is referring to some kind of community church of Christ that does not separate itself from the union of faith, which the Catholic Church has a tendency to do. Therefore, a covenant of God that provides a legal framework for the law of grace in us is presented in the good wife. He who has found a wife has found a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 18.22 The congregation of saints with a theocratical rule of order can be recognized by the presence of the teaching of Christ and twelve base foundations. Therefore, a wife that does not accept her husband as head and demonstrates unfaithfulness to her husband, so she who does not um, accept the order of theocracy, she cannot be called a good wife. For all the promises of God in him, so in Christ, are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of, glory of God through us, Second Corinthians one twenty. This is the order of theocracy. All of the promises of God that a person could receive, he can only receive through people whom God has established to um, to care for his church. In scripture, a good wife is presented in the 31st chapter of the book of parables. The characteristics as a whole represent the full nature of the parables that yield her kindness, through which we are called to gain grace from the Lord, to be formed into seven pillars of wisdom. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Proverbs 31, verses 28 through 29. There are many different churches across the, across the whole earth that call themselves churches of Christ or the congregations of Christ, but there is a small flock of the chosen across the whole earth, of which this is referring to, that there are many of them, but she is one. In Proverbs, Christ usually talks about this good wife that many are called, but few are chosen. He relates her to the category of the small flock, small chosen. And according to this parable, we know that a virtuous wife is a kind of church that in the teaching about the law of the grace of God, preaches truth thanks to which saints, using all of their strengths, through the fear of the Lord, can have uplifted, touching, and fruitful relationships with God, as well as with one another. As it is written, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Philippines 4, 8. To meditate upon whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, and of good report and praiseworthy, it is necessary to have a renewed mind or the mind of Christ. Because the main enemy that resists the mind of Christ is our human mind. In scripture, reasoning defining the nature of the fear of the Lord in us is presented in the format of a renewed mind, which is expressed in all shades that are tied to the action of the mind of Christ in us. This is the reason of Christ in us, the understanding of Christ in us, the contemplation of Christ in us, the vision or knowing of Christ in us. It's the knowledge of Christ in us, the understanding of Christ in us, and the judgment of Christ in us. Reasoning, defining the nature of the fear of the Lord in the format of our renewed thinking, is expressed in the, our ability to know the mind of the Lord, to penetrate into the depths of God and to find out what God thinks or what God is meditating about in his heart. For who has known the mind of the Lord that 
that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 Second, reason, reasoning, defining the nature of the fear of the Lord in the format of our renewed thinking is defined by the law of God. But I, Apostle Paul writes in Romans 7.23, But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and in bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. You see here, warring against the law of my mind. So a renewed mind has the law of grace, and the law always knows when, what, where, and how to do it, who to relate to, how to relate to. Third, reasoning, defining the nature of the fear of the Lord in the format of our renewed thinking, comes from Christ, is fulfilled in Him, and pursues His interests. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. Fourth. Reasoning defining the nature of the fear of the Lord in the format of our renewed thinking is expressed in the image of the judgment of the righteous. There is a difference between the judgment of the righteous and those people who think that they are righteous. Job 36, 16-17 Indeed, he would have brought you out of dire distress into a broad place. God turns to Job with these words where there is no restraint, and what is set on your table would be full of riches, richness, meaning would be anointed by God. But you are filled with the judgment due the wicked. Judgment and justice take hold of you. Job 36, 16-17 Being righteous, a person for some reason uses the image of the thinking of, of uh, the unrighteous because the image of the righteous thinking is completely different. A righteous judges only in the boundaries uh, which God gives him for which he answers before God. And when he judges in these boundaries, he judges according to the basis of Scripture in the, in the boundaries of Scripture. A person who thinks that he is righteous, these are usually all carnal people. They think that they must give appraisal to everything and everyone. What a person is wearing, what his haircut is like, what the president said, what's written in the newspaper, what that preacher is saying, how this one behaves, how the other one behaves. They just see themselves as obligated to appraise any everything and everyone and outside of the limits of their responsibility. Look after yourself. If you have a desire to constantly go and teach someone who is not found under your responsibility, then that which is placed at the table before you, on your table, this is referring not to the material, what is said on your table, but spiritual. It's not going to be anointed on your table. You will hear the anointed word, but for you it won't be anointed. Because you have the, an incorrect image of thinking, you have an unrenewed mind. And therefore, here, God demonstrates a person, Job, who was righteous in his heart, but he had not yet achieved a renewed mind. And then finally, he gains a renewed mind and says, that's it. I had spoken, now I will not speak as I spoke before of you. And I committed you to come to judgment with me. I closed my lips, that's it. This represents the, the meaning of the fear of the Lord. If there was the fear of the Lord in that fullness, and if it would make... 
a person have the mind of Christ, whatever may happen to him, he'd be at ease. He would have completely relied and trusted in God. Yes, God allowed it and he must endure it. And he is not going to cry out and say, Lord, why and for what? Because he can simply ask, Lord, if you have something to me that I'm not doing correctly, please show me and I will I will fix it. That's it. And if truly there is something, God will give you knowledge of this. But if there is nothing and you continue to remain in these affliction circumstances, this means that you are in the state where God is doing something wonderful with you. You must endure it and say, I am going to continue to trust in God. I'm going to continue to trust in God. I will not allow in my heart to criticize God, to be offended by him, and so forth. Fifth, reasoning and defining the nature of the fear of the Lord in the format of our renewed thinking is expressed in our reasoning being bound to the life of God. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 18. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Unfortunately, we see that many that are many of those that are called, they have this stiff heart. Because they don't want to acknowledge the word of God and the order of God. They think that they're going to be able to, with their own mind, understand the thoughts of God and interpret them. And in doing so, they challenge God and they place their mind equal to the mind of God. Forgetting that God has an order. He has an order to understand the word of God. He selects in each church one person. And then from his spirit, he gives it this knowledge to his helpers. And through this one person, he is going to open and reveal his truth. Beginning his revelation that he had received on the island of Patmos, Apostle John wrote this, Blessed is the one who reads, and he and those that hear the words of the revelations of this book and that fulfill them. He saw himself in the image of one who reads, so in the in the singular sense. He had to pass this word along to others, to those that listened, plural. He had an anointing to see, understand, read, and to others God gave the anointing to hear and to understand that which he had previously understood. But there are people who want to hear differently. They say, what, you don't have your own head? You don't have your own opinion that is independent of your pastor. What are you all going crazy? They ask us. Are you in slavery? Are you, are you, have you been hypnotized? Forgetting that between, between a sermon and hypnosis, there's, there's depths, depths of differences. Sixth, reasoning defining the nature of the fear of the Lord in the format of a renewed thinking is expressed in the keeping of the commandments of the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 2 and 6. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Therefore be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes, and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. So we know that wisdom is the equivalent of the fear of the Lord. 
Seventh, reasoning, defining the nature of the fear of the Lord in the format of our renewed thinking, is defined by wisdom which has the ability to depart from evil. The fear of the Lord is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Job 28, 28. In this manner, the favor of God to people who fear God is expressed in their reasoning, yielded by their renewed mind. If a person has a renewed mind, this means that the favor of God is directed to him, and thanks to this favor, to this renewed mind, he can trust in the mercy of God. And so the second question, what is the essence of the mercy of the Lord that is called to be trust for those who fear God? We must know that the essence of the mercy of God is contained in the fear of the Lord and is an expression of the fear of the Lord. Therefore, those who fear God trust not in the power of their human emotions and the power of their human mind, but in the wisdom of the mercy of God contained in the name of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord allows those who fear God to know the great redemption of God as their inheritance in God, according to the requirements of the commandments of the Lord that they accept and acknowledge in the power of the Holy Spirit through the preached word of the messengers of God. We must note that people with a stiff-necked heart despite their trust in the strength of their horse and the speed of their legs, still think that they are in the shadow of the mercy of God. But this belief is based not on the revelations of truth that are contained in Scripture, but in their free will interpretations and acceptance of the grace of God that has long been distorted by them. Because the word trust contains a certain foundation or that upon which we must build our building. For example, if we don't have enough in our bank or the building of a home out of silver, gold, and precious stones, then we attempt to build this house. And when we, when then when we attempt to build this house, we will have nothing to trust or rely on. How are you going to build a house out of gold, precious stones, and silver if you don't have anything in your bank and your pockets are empty? It says, I am going to trust in the Lord. Well, wait a second. Hope. Trust is always relying on that which you have, but you don't yet have anything yet. Therefore, the mercy of God is the inheritance of those who fear God, expressed in the great act of redemption of their spirits, souls, and bodies that are contained in their hearts in the equivalent of the fear of the Lord. Take a look, Isaiah 33, 6. Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and the strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. The fear of the Lord, again, is his treasure. If there is the, if the fear of the Lord is not on our accounts from which we can take and build ourselves into a spiritual house, a holy dwelling, a person cannot build himself into a spiritual dwelling. On numerous occasions, we have mentioned that from the definitions of Scripture, the favor of God shown in His mercy, first and foremost, is the manifestation of His unearthly goodness and His care toward people who fear God and are the vessels of mercy. Romans 9, 22-24 What if God, wanting to show His wrath and to make His power known, He not only desires to show mercy, He desires, He has a need to show His wrath on the vessels of wrath. He, wanting to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even as whom, whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. 
Romans chapter 9, verses 20 through 24. From this and many other places of scripture, we know that practically everyone who comes to God are broken into two parts, vessels of anger and vessels of mercy. And to be a vessel of anger or a vessel of mercy depends only on the decision of man himself. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both you and your descendants may live. Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 19. We know that very few had chosen it, and they were destroyed in the wilderness. Some the earth has swallowed up, some the snakes had 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 bitten and they died along the way some the fire of the lord came upon them and died but most of them fell as all of them fell as bones of the desert and only some their children they had reached the land because they were able to choose they had an opportunity to choose why did the children come into the land and not the parents because they knew the food of Egypt, and the children did not know the taste of the food of Egypt. They knew only manna, and the others knew manna and that food, and they chose before between manna and the food of Egypt, and they always thought about that food, and those, um, they begin to remember those aromas, those tastes, and they, they, uh, they said, where are the melons? Where is there these onions, this meat that was plentiful in Egypt? Here we have only manna in our eyes, only manna. And this had led God. And he said to them that for 40 years, all of them would fall as bones in the wilderness. And so therefore choose life. This place of scripture says, because that which is a delicacy for your spirit, for your flesh, and for your soul, this is going to be difficult for them to accept. But if you don't take authority over your flesh, then you and your descendants shall perish. According to scripture, life and death as well as blessing and curse are made dependent on righteousness and sin. Righteousness and faith expressed in disobedience toward the commandments of God create eternal life and make a person a vessel of mercy. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Hebrews 10.38 You see, if a person is shaken, then God immediately rejects this person. He doesn't have a relationship with him. Because the righteous shall live by faith. They are not going to be shaken because they're going to live by faith, by the word of God. What is faith? Faith is from hearing the word of God. It is the information about who God is for us and what God has done for us, as well as how God views us, how he sees us, who he considers us to himself. Whereas sin expressed in disobedience toward the commandments of God results in eternal death and makes a person a vessel of anger. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.23 That is why each time when we are talking about the mercy of God toward man, we must know that the mercy of God is only for the vessels of mercy that became vessels of mercy thanks to the fear of the Lord that abides in their hearts. Mercy in Hebrew, if we translate what this means, it's goodness, goodwill, devotion, faithfulness, loyalty, 
Kindness, care, recovery, provision, preparation, and care. The mercy of God equivalent to the fear of the Lord is one of the institutes of divine authority and governing that are intended to regulate the relationship between God and man, between the heart of a person and his renewed mind, between man and man, between man and the powers of darkness, and between man and all of the earth. Therefore, the mercy of God equivalent to the fear of the Lord is the basis of our salvation as well as our genesis. This foundation that makes up our salvation is presented in the twelve foundations of the walls of New Jerusalem. All of these twelve foundations make up one whole, although each of them have their own name, their own number, their own color, their own structure, and their own taste. Therefore, according to Scripture, the mercy of God contained in the fear of the Lord can be relied on only by a person that is dedicated to the mercy of God and how God offers it to man. For example, the fear of the Lord in the definition of the mercy of God is in the face of God himself. The Lord is merciful and gracious, Psalms 103, verse 8. Second, the fear of the Lord at the definition of the mercy of God is in the written word, Psalms 119, verse 114. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Third, the fear of the Lord in the definition of the mercy of God is in the face of the Holy Spirit that acts in the boundaries of Scripture. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 20. You also gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your mana from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. For the fear of the Lord and the definition of the mercy of God is in a person whom God established over us. Job chapter 33, verses 23 through 26. If there is a messenger for him, a mediator. So a messenger, an angel, is a servant that can advise you. He said, if there is a messenger for him, a mediator, one among a thousand, there are not many of them, to show man his uprightness, then he is gracious to him and says, Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. His flesh shall be young like a child. He shall return to the days of his youth. He shall pray to God, and he will delight in him. He shall see his face with joy, for he restores to man his righteousness. You see here, you see how important it is what Apostle Paul said. All the promises in Christ Jesus are yes and amen to the glory of God through us. But... This was spoken in the most ancient book, Job. This is a remembrance of literature which everyone looks upon. This is the most ancient book in the whole world. And it talks about what Apostle Paul said, that all the promises of God in Christ Jesus, can be a person can receive them through those whom God has established. Here it says, if there is a mediator, one among a thousand, when he is off of his path to show man his uprightness, then God will be gracious to him and will say, deliver him from going down to the pit. Deliver him from the state in which he has been found in. 
Fifth, the fear of the Lord and the definition of the mercy of God is in our relationship toward the vessels of mercy. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James 2.13 The fear of the Lord and the definition of the mercy of God is in the time allotted to us. We must demonstrate mercy to the vessels of mercy in the boundaries of Scripture. We can't demonstrate mercy outside of the boundaries of Scripture. Only in the boundaries of Scripture. Six, the fear of the Lord and the definition of the mercy of God is in the time allotted to us. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 16. Seventh, the fear of the Lord and the definition of the mercy of God is in people who fear God. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. So, mercy is found in those who fear Him. Psalms 103, verse 17. Therefore, if we want to gain mercy, then we need to have a correct relationship toward those who fear God, because the mercy of God dwells in them. To better understand the essence of the fear of the Lord that is equivalent to the mercy of God, we must establish what purpose does the fear of the Lord pursue upon which those who fear God trust in. First, the fear of the Lord of the purpose of the mercy of God is intended to be magnified over our life. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Psalm 63, 3. So it turns out that the mercy of God is so precious and great that it is better than life, life in the flesh. Second, the fear of the Lord and the purpose of the mercy of God is intended to give us the right to call upon the name of the Lord. Psalms 86, 5. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Here, the meaning of these verb, these words mean that in the mercy of the Lord, there is the fear of the Lord. Or the fear of the Lord represents the mercy of God, and it is called to give us the right to call the name of, on the name of the Lord. Because if there is no fear of the Lord, and this is information, this is the legislation of God, we won't know how to call on God. Because to call on God could be done only by warriors of prayer, only a priest who enters into the presence of God. And to enter into the presence of God, it is necessary to know how to worship in spirit and truth. Through the fear of the Lord and the purpose of the mercy of God is to make with us a covenant of our fathers. But the, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant of your fathers which he swore to them. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 31. You see, if we don't have, um, if we're not bound to our fathers, then this means We need to be bound to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is talking about these fathers. This isn't talking about the fathers of today's fathers. This isn't talking about those people whom today God has established. In their place, yes, of course, we must have a relationship to them. But it says that with 
we must not forget the covenant of your fa- of our fathers. Because the father Abraham became the father of all believers, God made Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the fathers of faith. And with them he made a covenant, and then for them he began to spread this covenant upon those who were going to make this covenant with him on those conditions upon which he made a covenant with, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when Israel had violated this covenant and when they made them incorrectly, God did not consider them his own. Jesus, having come, called the religious elite of his time, Your father is devil, he said of them. You want to fulfill the lusts of your father. He didn't see them in them as children of Abraham. And then, seeing the Gentiles that had accepted by him by faith, his healing by faith, he was astonished and said, Their father is Abraham. This is a son of Abraham. This is the daughter of Abraham. Why? Because they had the same faith. The woman came who absolutely was not from the people of Israel. And she began to ask, Lord, my, my daughter is ill. Heal her. And he said to her, I've come to the fallen sheep of the house of Israel. Then she said, But the dogs eat the crumbs from the tables of their masters. And he was astonished and said, And in Israel I found I did not found this kind of faith. Go, daughter. Your daughter is healthy. She became a daughter of Israel. We know how Ruth the Moabite had entered into the genealogy of Christ. Their people were what allowed these people to enter. They said, Your God will be my God and your people, my people. So they fulfilled Forget your fathers, for he is your God and you shall worship him. Therefore, it is very important to have a relationship and to meditate. I continually return to the events that go back to um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I see them as my fathers, and I have a firm bind to them with this root system. And when I ended up in Israel, when I began to just talk with some Israelites that uh, came upon my way, they all, many of them consider that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are myths of their people. Imagine this. They talk about them as if they're myths, that each people has a myth, and we have a myth that Abraham is is the the beginner of our people. And when I looked at them, I said, are you, are you foolish? So when I began to tell them who Abraham is, and when all of a sudden they understood that Abraham is truly the, the beginner, I said, you will not find one nation who would have a beginner of the nation that they could know the man whom they came from. Take one nation, only the people of Israel, that their father is Abraham. I understand that, Abra- that the uh, Arabs also contend to this name. But uh, their understanding is false. Only Israel can can say this. And when some of them begin to understand what I said, and they said, "Oh, I have I'm shivering goosebumps. Is this truly our our beginning, our predecessor Abraham?" I said, "Yes. Look, thousands of years, and you have not yet been destroyed. There are a few of you, but you have not been destroyed. You wanted to be killed. Devil wanted to kill you, and he um, he brought up the anger of many nations against you." 
Many rise, rose up against you, but God had kept you in this small, small count. And then Benjamin Netanyahu, um, when I listened to, he had said a word in one of the Christian churches that he had visited to. He was invited and he stood behind the pulpit and he said something. He said, I had invited to myself, invited to my home, the president of the leader of the Communist Party of China. And he said to him, our peoples, ancient peoples, and you are ancient peoples, and we are ancient peoples. And I told him, we, there's only a few million of us, and there's more than a hundred million. And they said, and he said, why is it like this? And Netanyahu said, think about why this is, this is so. He said, this is very important, why this is so. Why are there so few of us and we have remained? We are an ancient people that has not yet been destroyed and so forth. Obviously, the Chinese cannot say who their predecessor is, who their beginner is of the, of the Chinese. Russians can't say who their, who their father is, predecessor. Neither the Germans, nor the French, nor the, nor the Koreans. Not one nationality can say who their predecessor is, who their father is. Only the people of Israel. But God calls Israel the one because Israel is a person who gives the opportunity to God to fight with him in prayer against the powers of darkness that resist him fulfilling the will of God. Therefore, not every person who calls himself a son of Abraham in the flesh is so. Abraham is the father for those who will be in the same faith as him. And so furthermore, the fear of the Lord and the purpose of the mercy of God is to call the attention of God upon our adversities. Psalms 31 verse 8. I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy for you have considered my trouble. You have known my soul and adversities. So you see, God has a relationship, his selective love. He loves those who love him and he hates those who hate him. This is what is written. Therefore, even when the children of God do something incorrectly, then still, God stands for them in order to turn away the calamity that falls upon them. When the sons of Israel in their minority were among the people, and one of the sons, Sechem, wanted to marry the daughter of Jacob. But before marrying her, he had slept with her. He liked her and he wanted to ask for her hand in marriage. And then those said to him, we can't give her, give her to you as, as a wife because you are uncircumcised and you're serving a different God. We have a God in order to serve this God. You need to enter into a covenant through circumcision. He went and told his father. The father called his whole people. And the whole people agreed to leave their idols, their deities, and to stand into a covenant with the God of this small people whom this people had served. And they all were circumcised. But when an older person does, goes through circumcision, then the temperature of the body rises up. This is not just an eight-day-old child. Then the sons of Jacob, son, uh, Simon and Levi, they took their swords. They went into the city when the men were were laying 
um, ailing, were not ready for battle. They went and killed all these people. Jacob said, what have you done when he found this out? What have you done? How, when the surrounding people find out about this, that this is, this is, they're going to come and kill us because we, we're traitors. Take a look at what happens further. Genesis 35, 5, and they journeyed. So Jacob decided to go away from there. He knew that the son, his sons did incorrectly, but it says, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. Jacob, in his blessing, blessing his sons, had said this prophecy in relation to this uh, this thing that Simeon and Levi did. He said, Simeon and Levi, th their swords, let, my, let not my glory be tied to their actions. Cursed is their anger and their anger. I will separate them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Take a look at what happened due to this stiffness. And it is this kind of religious stiffness. Instead of sometimes we begin to mercy, have mercy on those who we should have mercy to and go against those who have just come to God. God had said in his time to Moses, he had said to Moses, as well as Abraham, that each person who accepts circumcision, he will be as those who inhabit the land. Therefore, the nation, a nationality of Jews depends not on their blood, but their relationship to God through circumcision. If a person is circumcised, it doesn't matter what nation he is from, he is an Israelite. If an Israelite is not, uh, is not circumcised, then he shall be cast out from the from the nation. Fifth, the fear of the Lord and the purpose of the mercy of God upholds us in the minutes of our stumbling. Psalms 94 verse 18. If I say my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. So a person had the fear of the Lord, but sometimes there are such strong difficulties that the foot begins to slip the foot is the guidance the direction when you begin to slip is this truly so so when a person surrounding christian people begin to say well you are in delusion you don't understand this correctly and so forth and then he says when my foot slips your mercy your lord will hold me up because in order to rely on the mercy of god and the equivalent of the fear of the lord we must know that whatever people may say, if they say against, talk against scripture, you must choose what scripture says and not what these people say. Six, the fear of the Lord and the purpose of the mercy of God guides us in the holy habitation of God. For you and your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. Exodus chapter 15, verse 13. You see... God leads us to him, to his holy habitation, only through the mercy. That is an expression of the fear of the Lord. Seventh, the fear of the Lord and the purpose of the mercy of God gives peace to people. Psalms chapter 36, verse 7. You and your mercy 
have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. Psalms 36, 7. You see how precious mercy is that those who fear God trust in. Why do they trust in him? Because they know this is knowledge. This is not an emotion. Again, I repeat, this is information. Information that has come to them. The fear of the Lord is information. It's a legislation of God in the 12 teachings of Christ in the heart of a person. And he relies on this. This is the mercy of God. This legislation of God is the mercy of God for us. So the third question, at what place, at what time, and in what order is it necessary to demonstrate our trust in the mercy of God? We must know that the mercy of God is given to man when he turns to the help of God and worships the temple of God in the fear of the Lord. Worshiping the temple of God in the fear of the Lord. Psalms 5, 7. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. Pay attention. We know that the house of the Lord is called the bride of the Lamb. Not this large amount of people that have filled churches, but that small amount of people that are found there among this multitude that do not have the fear of the Lord, who and they are those who have the fear of the Lord. They are not seduced. Why is he this way? Why is he that way? They don't see them. For them, it's important for them to walk before God. They don't look at others. And they themselves build their relationship with these people. They hold these people further away from themselves if they don't have the fear of the Lord. And they converse and they open their heart to only those who fear God. Therefore, entrance into the house of God and worshiping in the temple, the temple of God in the fear of the Lord depends on three components. First, we must have proof of our lineage with God that is intended to be expressed in justification that is accepted independent of the law of the gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So we're talking about how, how to define this place this place where we must trust in the mercy of God. This place is in three components. The temple of God is in three components. The first we talked about, we just mentioned that it's justification that accepted independent of the law of Moses. Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Again, we talked about um, law of grace and justification. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. For the logical mind, it's hard to understand how the law of grace come from the law of Moses, but yet at the same time be independent of it. But take a look here. Is the law testifies, comes from there, but he is independent of the law. The righteousness of God by grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so the first component of the house of God or the temple of God that we must worship 
in order to rely on the mercy of God because this mercy is found there and it is defined for us there. This is, must be that kind of church in which is preached justification through faith in Jesus Christ. So not just I am righteous, now I can live like Satan lives. Oh, grace. Okay, well, great. We're under grace. But no, understanding that the law of grace, although it is independent of the law of Moses, it is more strict than the law of Moses. Second, it is necessary to have evidence of our partaking to the house of God by walking in the light in which God walks. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So God walks in the light, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. Interesting. And what light God walks. We know that God walks in the light of his word. His word is light. In the beginning was the word, Apostle John writes, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It was at the beginning with God, everything came to be through him, and nothing came to be without him that came to be. In him was life, and this word was life, and this life became the light of man, and light shines in the darkness. Therefore, the word of God that comes from the mouth of God is the light to God. To walk in the light as he is in the light means to worship this light, to depend on this light, to act in this light, and to fulfill the purpose of this light. When God speaks his word, he immediately becomes a servant of this word. He depends on this word. He worships this word. And he is vigilant in order for it to be fulfilled. He does not depend on our words. He does not depend on the words of the foolish who say, if he is the God Almighty, let him make a, a, a rock that he can't lift because they don't know God. That God does not listen to them and does not listen to many Christian people. He only listens to those who pray according to his will. He hears only his word because he is dependent on his word. And if we walk in this light just as he is in the light, he walks in the light of his word. And if we walk in the light of this word, then thanks to this, we will be able to have fellowship with one another. So we become partakers of the body of Christ, in which the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us, begins to cleanse us from all sin. Just as blood cleanses a person continually, every second, every hour, and not during some kind of foolish encounter for three days. This is demonic. To be sanctified in three days. No, sanctification is a process that lasts throughout the whole human life while we live in our decaying bodies. This is what sanctification is. The price of our whole life, not two, three, or four days. It's called an encounter. The charismatics and the baptists, they're all focused on this. An encounter, they say. Yesterday's prostitute, alcoholic, drug addict is then all of a sudden the next day becomes the preacher of the good news. But take a look then what happens. Delusion, some kind of visions that are incorrect, just demonic things going on. Here it clearly says, how does the blood of Christ cleanses us? It not just cleanses us, it also feeds us. If we place the word of God 
higher than all, just as God placed his word above higher than all. When we walk in this light in which he walks, then we are united to this house, this dwelling, and there is the mercy of God, and God is there. He is the head of this body. Third, we must have proof of our partaking to the house of God expressed in honoring God with tithes and offerings. If a person does not honor God in tithes and offerings by searching for God, this means that he does not partake to the house of God. He can't even enter into the gates of God. Psalms 96 verses 8 through 9. Give to the Lord the glory, do his name, bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, tremble before him all the earth. Take a look here. The praise to God is made dependent. The gifts that we bring worship to God and trembling. If we do not carry gifts, we come with empty hands. We try to worship and praise God. God won't accept us. He has clearly said, don't come before my countenance with, with empty hands. This notes our partaking to the house of God. Bring into them my house and all the one this test me, says the Lord. Um, the order in which it is necessary to demonstrate our trust in the mercy of God is the order of a body that is guided by one head. Philippians chapter 2 verses 2 to 3. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. So the congregation of saints that is guided by one person whom God established is the order of theocracy or the order in which the selective love of God agape reigns. It's the order of the body. Take a look. Each person has his own head. Imagine if a person had two heads. What if he had a brotherly council of heads? He would walk with a brotherly council in his head. Imagine one head says one thing and another head says another thing. Just imagine. They say we're the body of Christ, but their their structure is democratic. They select for themselves a person who would try to flatter their ears. They must like macaroni hanging from their ears. They must be Italians. A person who belongs to the congregation of saints with a democratic structure of governing where the pastor of the church is chosen by way of votes does not have in his heart the fear of the Lord. Therefore, he wastes every opportunity to trust in the mercy of God. Now, in order to trust in the mercy of God, here we see the order, the place, but now there also must be the time. The time in which it is necessary to demonstrate our trust in the mercy of God is the time in which God, through the gospel word of his messengers, unveils the essence of mercy that is expressed in a certain promise. You cannot trust in the promise because what is mercy? Mercy is the the promise of God. You can't trust in it if you don't know what it is comprised of and when you can receive it. Because when God gives something, when he promises something, then he defines a time for every mercy for it to be received. Just as a wise person, the rich, he dies and he says, this part you will receive, you will give to my son when he is 18 years old. This part he will receive when he uh, finishes college. The next, when he gets married. Then you will give him this part. So he gives it to him for him to do something, not just he came 
to a certain age and then all of a sudden his father dies and he takes everything. But no, a wise father does not do so. The testator says the time in which you can enter into the inheritance. Therefore, when can we enter into inheritance or when can we take the promise of God that is the mercy of God? When through the preached word of the messengers of God, God unveils the essence of this mercy that is expressed in a certain promise. For example, when God had unveiled to us during these end days the promise regarding the the clothing of our deadly body into the new man, if before this, this revelation was not here, we couldn't rely on it, we couldn't trust in it, we couldn't desire, we couldn't proclaim it, right? But now all of us have been, uh, have grasped this, we rejoice and we trust in it. The time had come. Time has come. Hebrews 3, 6 through 11. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness. So when? When you hear the voice. Where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So he said to them that he is letting them leading them into the land where milk and honey flow. But there must be time in which they must enter, and they wanted to enter uh, before the right time. They said, if Lord, if you don't heal me today, then I don't need to be healed tomorrow. I knew many people who prayed this way with such as if they, they, they said, if you don't give me today, then you, I don't need you tomorrow. Give it to me today. This is how they come to God. Some people do. I remember one, um, person preached, there was a, a large Pentecostal church that he said, I, my finger hurts. And I told him, if you don't heal my finger today, then I don't need it tomorrow. I won't serve you then tomorrow. And you know what? I put, placed him up to the corner of the wall. He didn't have a choice but to heal me. He said, brothers, you need to, if if he has spoken it, that he has to fulfill it. Can you imagine such audacity? And the whole church was in awe. It turns out that we must take the promises of God and said, if you said it, then fulfill it. But how to fill it, fulfill it, at what time, at what place? It's impossible to trust in that which we can't give a specific definition for. When God tells us to rely on his mercy, he unveils the essence of his mercy and the fullness of his time and in, in specific promises that are contained in scripture. Therefore, the mercy of God upon which we must place our trust is given at a time when it pleases God. Given that our time has concluded, we will bend our knees, bow our heads in prayer, and we will thank God for that word that we were able to have today. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I bow down with your people upon this blessed face that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. I thank you for the wisdom of your divine word that today continues to ring as a trumpet and unveils before us the promise of the end days. We thank you 
that your heavens are revealed for those who were directed to these end days and who had awaited for it. Because you have promised that during these end days you will open that which was not known to many generations of saints. And they desire to live in this time. We thank you for this bright revelation in which the victory of your reigning grace can gain its authority, not just in our spirit and our soul, but in our body as well. That the life of your Son, Jesus Christ, can dwell in our body, having abolished the law of Moses with the law of the Spirit of life. May your mercy be blessed for your people forever and ever, for them and for their sons, and for the sons of their sons, as you had said according to your word. I thank you for your greatness, for your mercy that is poured out in your grace as a cascade of waterfalls that is poured out that falls as snow that is poured out in rain that comes from your clouds which you send in order for them to come for your direction in order to pour out your mercy or your wrath I thank you for your selective love that you love those who love you and hate those who hate you. We thank you for this great love that is the bond of all your perfections. We thank you, we rejoice before you. And I thank you that upon this place you can demonstrate the power of your grace and free your children from all forms of curses, from all phobias of fears, from all illnesses, from dependence on sin, from fear before death, before illnesses, because you provide for us and you Make your children your remnants so great and mighty that their faces will shine and there will not be any foolishness in their faces anymore, any negligence, because the wisdom you will place, you will make leaders and kings astonished when they will see that which they have never seen before and that which they have never been told when the whole world will will be in turmoil we will know what can happen and what can't happen we thank you that you have drawn the time near that you will soon rapture your church. But before you rapture her, you are going to give her knowledge that she has pleased you. You will clothe her into the new man and the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. And so in the joy of my heart, in my trembling, 
I bow down before you along with your people, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the hand of the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And so, to we will conclude our service with the unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise. Be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. <laughs>